Hey, this is Della's dad. My name is Adam, and this is a podcast that chronicles what it's like to be a first-time dad and leans into the expertise and experience of other fathers. It's a discussion about one dad raising his daughter and a tool for all parents out there. At the very least, we'll have some fun with some serious topics that all parents can relate to. After all, we're in it for the long haul, right? So let's enjoy the dad experience and let's be good at it. On this episode, I'm actually going to go solo and do a bit of a deep dive on what the labor and delivery experience was like for us when our little Della was born. The biggest lesson for me was that it's just not going to go the way you think it will. So I'm hoping by sharing my story, I can give others about to go through this some insight into how things can play out, what to expect. Plus, I'll try to summarize a few key tips that I think should be helpful for anyone about to give birth. So yeah, so here we go. I'll start with the water breaking because that was one of the first things for us or, or what we thought might have been the water break. Effectively, about four days before Della was due or before Jess, my missus, was due to give birth to Della, she was she had a bit of a slow leak going on, but it was one of those things where it wasn't completely obvious that it was the broken water. At first, we thought Jess might have been just peeing herself a little bit it wasn't a consistent leak. It would only happen occasionally. It would only happen when she'd move in a certain way to reach over to get something. Or sometimes after she had just finished peeing in the bathroom, she'd leave and then she'd leak some more and she'd be like, what the hell? One of the things that pregnant women hear is the possibility that you are, I think the word is incontinent, where you can actually pee yourself during pregnancy. So that's sort of why we weren't totally certain that it was a water break. It's a common misconception I hear that people think it's like in the movies where it's like a gushing stream of water and it's quite obvious and whatnot, but it's actually pretty common for it to not be so obvious. So we called the doctor on the Wednesday, we got the office and they said, we'll call you back. And they never call us back. They call us back on the Thursday morning, which in hindsight, I'm glad they didn't call us back till the next day. Otherwise they would have called us in the hospital even a day earlier. But they called us back and said, hey, come into the hospital, come into triage. We'll do an evaluation to have a look what's going on, right? So at this point, they've told us it's not an emergency, but you should come down now. Uh, they said we don't really need to bring our go bag because the hospital has what we need. In hindsight, it was a good thing we took everything with us because we went to the hospital and we never left. But to just break down the way it goes or the way it went for us at least, which I think could potentially be common for others. And this is how our obstetrician laid it out to us months prior. She said, when you do come in, you will go in a triage and that's where they will, they being the doctors, the hospital will evaluate you to see what the next move is. Right. And I'll come back in a second in terms of some of the things we prepared to look out for, for when we would need to go to hospital, like contractions and whatnot, but I'll just let you know what we went through here now. So we went in, we got seen by a couple of nurses and doctors talked them through what I had just explained to everyone around the slow leak. And they had essentially assessed that Jess's water has broken and it was potentially a high leak, meaning up higher in her stomach, uh, which is commonly when there's an infrequent leak, such as what Jess was happening, is it's, it's something that happens a little bit higher, which means it takes a little bit longer. It's a little bit more difficult for the water to travel to escape the body, right? When with us, they said that because of the leak, 
there's a risk of infection. So basically once, once the water's broken, the body's then susceptible and not as protected to let uh, infections go into the womb. So they don't want to have that leak go on for too long or the, or the water, broken water go on for too long before birth because the longer you go between water break and birth, the higher risk of infection. I am not a doctor. I am just trying to replay some of the things I was told or at least how I understood it. Anyway, what this meant was Jess had potentially had her leak for over 24 hours. The doctor said they'd normally let a leak go for about six hours after a water break to see what happens. But as this was well beyond that six hours, they said they're going to need to induce her, which means pump her with a drug called Pitocin, which essentially induces contractions. It makes contractions happen, which is all quite common. But for those who've never been through it, this is all, all the things that you learn. Obviously, we would have preferred to not to have to induce, would have preferred for it all to happen, quote unquote, naturally, if you will. But the the fact of the matter for us was because there's this increased risk of infection now because it's been a long water break, we had to go ahead and do it, right? So this was the start of a long waiting game and a long labor for Jess and for us contractions were happening, but they weren't painful for her, right? So they moved us out of that triage room into the actual room that we we're going to stay in for the labor and delivery and whatnot. Uh, honestly, that first day, there was a lot of waiting. It was a little boring. Uh, the Tour de France was on, so I was live streaming whatever stage was happening that day. But that's not to say that it was easy, uh, especially for Jess. So it's quite uncomfortable when you're spending all day in a hospital bed uh, and all of the things that come along with pregnancy. So I don't want to take anything away from, from her experience of it. So it's one of those things that it's a bit boring. You wait. It wasn't coming along. At least this is how our experience. Obviously, everyone's different. Then all of a sudden, something happens. So for us, the first part, and this was a little scary, after we had checked in at around lunchtime, it was about 5.30 p.m. later that day, they, they sensed uh, the baby's heart rate drop. So what they do is they hook the mother up to a bunch of different monitors and cables, all stuff that looks pretty, pretty common at a hospital. And a couple of them include strapping some heart rate monitors to two monitors to the mum's stomach. And that's what monitors the baby's heart rate. And I think it even monitors contractions somehow. I'm not really sure how exactly that works. But late afternoon, this was hours after they had started with Pitocin to start to induce the pregnancy, the baby's heart rate dropped. And out of nowhere, like there was, wasn't even anyone in the room with us. We didn't realize the baby's heart rate had dropped. There wasn't any weird alarms going off. Five nurses came in swiftly and made a bunch of changes and did some things. They weren't being frantic, but they did come in quite quickly in five of them. And that was a little bit scary. It's a bit overwhelming when, when you spend hours doing nothing, sitting in a room alone, and all of a sudden five nurses and a doctor and whatnot burst in and do a bunch of stuff. You're like, whoa, like you're, are you thinking the worst and what's going on? What they basically did was, and they explained this to us afterwards, was the contractions were just going a little too strong and the baby wasn't able to cope with it at the time, right? So what they did was they reduced the drug that was inducing the, the contractions. And I think they might've put something else into just to immediately stop the contractions. The idea being, let's stop contractions. Let's give the baby a minute to have her heart rate recover and, and come back and, and, and all that, right? So that happened successfully, which was good. And that was our first 
sort of big moment where we're like, okay, no, not everything is smooth sailing, but it's something that, like I was saying before, when the nurses came in, they weren't frantic. They knew what needed to be done and they did it. Yes, they had to move quickly, but they weren't overly concerned. Well, I guess at least they don't show it, right? Obviously a baby's heart rate dropping um, can be quite scary uh, if you don't do anything about it. The cool thing about this moment was that we realized just how much we were or just how well cared for we were, right? So in the nurse's station, in the in the birthing unit, they have monitors where they're looking at all of the babies, all of the vitals. Like just because they're not in the room with you, it doesn't mean that they're actually not monitoring what's going on. So after the fact, they were telling us that they were watching the baby's heart rate from the station, keeping an eye on it. And then when it had gotten low for and didn't come back, that's why they came in and, and did that procedure. That was hectic, but glad that obviously uh, worked out just fine. And it's something that if you've never been in this situation before, you it's, it's hard not to have it overwhelm you a little bit. Another good moment about this was something that reiterated that for us, nurses and doctors are there to help. So ask the questions that are on your mind. If you don't understand something that they say, ask them to elaborate. In my head, when I'm listening to them say stuff, I'm thinking, if someone asked me what that means, could I explain it? And if the answer is no, then I will ask the doctor. Sometimes if you're a little too nice and whatnot, you don't ask a dumb question, you're only going to have yourself to blame later if you don't know what's going on. So at least in our experience at the hospital we were at, everyone was super helpful and wanted you to know what was going on. So I asked a lot of questions. Another one as being the dad or being the partner, being the person that's not giving birth, my my fiance Jess She's very clued in. She did a lot of research and talked to a lot of doctors and read books and did these online classes. And I did some of them as well. It's one of those things that when it's not your body, sometimes it's hard during the pregnancy. Not I'm not saying it's hard to care, but it's hard to know what level of detail you need to think in, right? So what it means is I spent the whole pregnancy with full confidence that Jess was figuring her stuff out. And I also did some classes and stuff and I learned some things as well, which I'll go into later um, that made me a bit more knowledgeable and confident and comfortable with certain things. But don't always expect the person giving birth to ask all of the questions and don't expect them to always be understanding what the doctor and nurses are saying. So there was often times where I'd pause before asking a question and look at Jess and she wouldn't have any questions. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to assume that she knows exactly what's going on. I want to know for myself what's going on here. And I'll come to this a little bit later, the idea about how it's important as being the partner there to be as informed as possible to, to help support, support your partner. I guess the other bit there, just speaking on what I saw in Jess is a, a tough moment when you're there, uh, when you're the dad or whatever you are, it's tough when you see your partner who is normally a rock get really shaken after something happens because there can be ups and downs and you might be used to someone being a certain way, but there's just so much stress that goes as part of giving birth that it shakes even the strongest people, you know? And I, I guess for, for me in that moment, that doesn't matter how I feel inside, they need you to be positive, right? It's not, it's not about lying to them and telling them things that aren't true, but it's about having the right positive attitude, right? There's no use for them seeing you worried, you know? There's, you can let them see you care, but let, letting them see you, letting them see that you are worried, that's not 
helpful, at least in my opinion. Because just think for as, as scary as it might be for you in that room, I'd imagine it's infinitely scarier for the person who's actually got the baby inside them who's about to go through through that birth. So related to the baby heart rate story, you also have false alarms. Another time later that day, the baby's heart rate dropped again, but it turned out that just the monitor that was on Jess's stomach was had slipped down a little bit lower and wasn't getting it right. We didn't have a whole song and dance where the nurses all rushed in. The nurse was in there. We were doing stuff with the nurse and we all noticed it go down and she just moved the monitor. She played with the monitor and that was one of those things that it all happened too quickly for me to be too worried, but it's also one of those things that you have so much time to worry about stuff in a long labor, but at least in our experience, it's all in your head. You know, like you've got, as long as you've got a good team, you trust your doctors and your nurses and your, and your hospital is one of those things that like worrying is just not going to help you in that moment. But there's going to be moments, very serious ones, like the one I just explained, or ones like where the monitor was just in the wrong place where you could equally get as worried when you see the heart rate go down but it's actually not useful so that's where it's like it's a bit tough in that you sometimes don't know how to act you know uh and there's maybe no way out of that i don't don't know the induction that day inducing isn't instant jess was on the pitocin for hours but she didn't go into hard labor immediately and hard labor is my unscientific term for when I can see her in pain from from the contractions, right? What made things really slow for us as well was that when we had these situations where Della's heart rate dropped, they pull the Pitocin back and then they slowly ramp up again. And that adds like a lot of time there. So, so you're going to be there a while, which actually brings me to my next point. We had a private room. And one of the things that we were looking at when we were trying to figure out what hospital to go to, and we're based here in New York City, we had a lot of options and the closest hospital wasn't necessarily in our top three or four for various reasons. One of the things that we considered was where can we get a private room and where can we be guaranteed a private room? Because there was lots of good looking hospitals that they had private rooms, but there was no guarantee you would get one. So we ended up choosing one where they're all private rooms, meaning you would get a private room. Anyway, point being, it's very comfortable having that privacy of a private room. I'm sure we would have done just fine in a shared room, but considering how long we were there and to jump to the end a little bit, we were there for like two days before we ultimately went to C-section, spoiler alert. So in that respect, having the private room was really big. We had Jess's mum was with us during the labor and the delivery as well. So there was the three of us and just the comfort of having the privacy of your own conversations and using the bathroom and hanging out and watching TV and all that kind of stuff. I, I think, you know, as for as long as we have that opportunity and capability to get private rooms, I think that's, that's, that's the way to go. And speaking on Jess's mum being there, that was huge just because, you know, maybe, maybe in a quick birth, it's not as relevant, but for us being there two days, on many levels, it was nice to have her there from a moral support standpoint. From when things were dragging on and taking forever, it was nice having a third person in the room. What's cool is Jess's mum lives in LA, so other side of the country, because we don't get to spend a lot of time with each other. That's also something where it was just a good time for us to catch up and hang out. I, I'd spoken a little bit in episode one where I spoke with Nick about the first week of having the baby everyone has complex relationships with family and you can't always do all of the things like have someone in your private space for, for three straight days. Um, but it worked out for us, uh, really well. That's something where we had contemplated getting a doula. And for those that don't know what a doula is, they're someone who they're not a doctor or a nurse, but they're someone who is, 
involved. I don't, I'm not even going to explain this well, but they're, they're in some ways an advocate for for the mother. They're someone who you can do classes with a doula beforehand and they can teach you, here's all the things that you can expect in a birth and all this kind of stuff. One of the things about giving birth with C-section versus naturally with drugs, without drugs, all these different things is that, and I don't want to speak in places where I don't know too much, but you know, different women and different families have different preferences for how they want, um, how they want the birth to go. And sometimes you need a doula to help advocate for you because you're under pressure and you don't know too well, or your doctor says this is happening and it's bad and we need to do X, Y, and Z. And you don't really know sometimes whether you might not trust that doctor or whatnot. That wasn't an issue for us. Um, but that's why it's becoming something at least that's done here in the States. He's getting a doula. That's something that ultimately we didn't need that because we had Jess's mum with us and Jess and myself did a lot of classes, not a lot of classes, but we did some reading and, and a class or two beforehand to help us prepare for, for all of this. Here's a fun factoid. The epidural, that's the big painkiller. They, they put the needle into the spine of the, of, the, of the baby's mother to help relieve the pain with contractions and birth. And something going into that, I think Jess wanted to try and avoid the epidural for as long as was appropriate and then take it if she needed it. We read a statistic in one of the hospital books, 95% of women get the epidural. At least at that hospital in 2017 was a statistic, 95% of people got the epidural. So we watched some birthing documentaries during the pregnancy where it was, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but it was a little hippy dippy where it's like, you know, feel the pain and home water births and all of this, all of this kind of stuff that goes away from just sticking with traditional medicine. No disrespect to any of those preferences, but it was one of those things that preached very woo-woo, natural, feel the pain, it's all normal, and, and, and this and that, and, and God bless the women that are able to do that. But in 2017, at the hospital we were at, 95% of the women got the epidural. And at the end of that first night, when Jess's contractions got really hard, and she was in a lot of pain, and that was pretty hard even just watching her do it, uh, she got the epidural. And I think that was really big for her and, and made things a lot more uh, comfortable for her, which was which was great. The process itself, because they need to do it in a sterile environment, they make you leave the room and you go take a break and walk outside and, and all that kind of stuff. What was interesting, I don't know if Jess knew this already, but I think I learned about it after the fact. Pitocin, the drug that induces the contractions in the birth, is actually known to make contractions more painful and make them harder. So... I think I heard something around some correlation between if you get Pitocin to induce, that means you're more likely to get epidurals and so on and so on. So anyway, it's not necessarily, all of these things aren't necessarily our decision. That's up to the mother. Uh, and I know I'm sort of speaking through a couple of different things that happened on the day for us and it's different for everybody. But I think one of these things is as the partner is just about being there and supporting whatever that that decision needs to be. Even if Jess had said to me ahead of time, under no circumstances, do I want the epidural? And then all of a sudden she's in pain and she wants it. I'm not going to tell her, Hey, remember you said you didn't want it. Just deal with the pain. It's like, no, you got to, you got to read the room and read what your, what your partner needs. Anyway, fast forwarding to the end of the story here that night, 
Jess actually slept five or six hours. Then the next morning we tried at it again. We had a couple of more of those situations where the baby's heart rate dropped and they had to stop contractions and put something in. And they were definitely scary moments. I will say the best advice I got during this period and I wasn't really able to follow through on it was get as much rest as you can. One of the downsides of it being both me and Jess's mum helping there was there was just one couch. So we would take turns like sleeping a couple hours at a time. So our sleep was kind of all over the place, which made it a bit harder. But nevertheless, long two days, we finally got Jess to be pushing on, on the second day in the afternoon and pushing's hard, right? No surprises there. You'd hear in the other episode, in our first episode with Nick, uh, his wife had him in the headlock. We tried pushing for quite a while and the baby just wasn't moving. Ultimately, the doctor had said that we had to, we had to go for C-section because the baby's heart rate had been high for a while and the doctor didn't want to continue to stress the baby with hours more of pushing. That was emotionally a pretty hard moment on Jess she was really upset about it for as much as she went into the the the, the birth or the delivery or the labor or whatnot with the open mind of we need to do whatever has to be done I think she really wanted to have a natural birth and and sort of taking this c-section plan as a bit of like a maybe a failure uh, at least in her mind in that moment was really hard for her because she really didn't want to have to do that she came around to it it was ultimately the right decision even after the birth had happened the doctor had said the way the head was situated in the birth canal or something like that she's like you could have pushed for two more hours and she wouldn't have moved you know so that was that was ultimately we made the right decision there, but it's one of those things that in that moment is just really hard and you just, you have to be there to support. And it's one of those things where Jess didn't really want to do it. And it was me and her mum who were like, no, like we, we have to, like the doctors said X, Y, and Z, and you can see we've tried these things. And that's one of those things where Jess wasn't saying no, she didn't want to do it, but she was having a tough time swallowing that pill. And as the supporter there, it was my job and Jess's mum's job to just make her feel better about it and make her feel confident in the fact that that was the right thing to do. Right. I've gone on long enough about all that. The C-section stuff was a whirlwind. They prepped her for surgery. I went to a different room because C-section is a surgery and it's a sterile environment. They make you put on a bunch of surgical gear. They bring you in once they're ready and there's a big cloth separating Jess's face from the rest of her body so she can't see what's happening and you just go up on the up near the head of your partner to give them moral support you can't see what's happening either you can look over if you wanted to I decided not to do that um what's funny is they didn't even it happened pretty quickly in terms of by the time I got in there they were ready to go they didn't even warn me that the baby was coming I was just sitting there trying to keep Jess comfortable with chatting and I heard the doctor call out 7.17 p.m. and I was like wait a minute is the baby out and around the same time like you I could only see Jess's head but when they pulled the baby out of her stomach I could tell because it was just it was sort of like Jess's face deflated or something it was like so odd but point being I heard them call out the time and then before I could even ask hey did you take the baby out I could hear the baby crying that was an amazing feeling like relief and like happiness and they don't bring the baby over straight away they take the baby to a little station to the side to perform a bunch of checks and to clean them up and wrap them up and bring them over um 
it was a, it's a pretty amazing moment once they put the baby in your arms. Like it's, it's, you can't even, it's too hard to articulate. I'm not, I'm not going to try and articulate it here. That was a pretty incredible moment, especially after a couple of long days. But the point here is not to tell you about how happy I was with my kid or, or having had a kid and how happy me and Jess were, but more around the process around these things. Pretty scary and overwhelming when they put a baby in your arms and it's now it's yours. <laughs> but the fact that you're still in the hospital and, and all that does make all of that like a, l- a little bit easier. Then after that, you get taken to a different room. You get a bunch of doctors and nurses coming, checking in on mum, giving her all of the post-surgery meds, checking the vitals, baby's vitals, all that kind of stuff. Um, all the things you would generally expect to happen uh, post a birth. Nothing, nothing too crazy that stood out for me there. Quick tips, right? Just to wrap up, prep tips. In your go bag, change of clothes, phone charger, water bottle. Jess barely used any of the stuff she brought, actually. Like the hospital catered for her. for, And I would expect most hospitals to cater for the mum. Uh, what was helpful for us, because we were there for so long, we had like iPads for long, boring stretches, a book, headphones. The hospital had a TV. That's not really labor related, but it's around a couple of things you can bring. Just whatever you think you need to be comfortable for a potentially long stay, throw it in a bag and be ready. More relevant though, labor tips. And just to hit on some of the key points, it's moral support. You got to read the room. You got to give your partner space when they need space. You got to give them the right verbal support when they need it. Hopefully at this point, you've been with them long enough that you have half a half an idea of how to do that. But that's that's number one is moral support. That's That is it, right? During contractions, when making a decision about the epidural, um, or all, all, all that kind of stuff, it, it's, it's, it's moral support. I, I mentioned having Jess's mom. That was huge. That's not an option for everybody, but I saw that as a huge positive to have, have her mom with us um, for many reasons. Like I said before, get as much rest as possible. Honestly, it's hard. When I was up at 4 a.m. on that first night, I'm just like staring at the baby's heartbeat, you know, while she's still in the womb. Like I just couldn't rest and I couldn't take my own advice there. But another one is you are allowed to leave the hospital. Don't be afraid to take a walk outside from time to time. You need to be in the right headspace as well to provide the right support. And uh, it's hard to leave the room because at least in my experience, every time I left the room to go pick up some food, I'd be like, I can't wait to get back up there. But um, you're going to need that as well. So, uh, and yeah, like I said before, ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Be a pest to the nurses and the doctors. You need to understand what's being said and what's going on so you can, you guys can make a decision together. Other small things like gadgets or products, definitely take an eye mask with you and some noise cancelling headphones if you have them for the mother. If you have an extra pair for yourself, great, but for the mother so she can get actual sleep if she's staying there overnight, which even after the baby comes, like we stayed there for a couple of days um, to rest and recover after the C-section, just with all of the lights and noises at, at hospitals, eye masks and some kind of noise cancellation is huge. Last thoughts. It is a long emotional slog, but it brings a lot of relief once the baby is in your arms. Once that comes, it's this incredible feeling just staring at this newborn. And like I said before, it's hard to articulate, but you just can't stop looking at your at your kid. You know, um, baby's mum's pretty immobile. Uh, so do your best to bring the baby as close to mum as possible um, and just be there for her. Uh, but yeah, that's it. And I hope me recounting the 
our experience of the birth is 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 in some ways helpful um cool all right see you on the next one